Welcome aboard to another podcast episode of White Collar Crimes. We show you the only color that truly matters in our criminal justice system is green. I am Ryan Horn, your host. Great to have you aboard as always. You know, we've talked a lot about medical fraud on this podcast, and I think it's one of the most common yet unrecognized, if you will, forms of white collar crime. It goes on a whole lot more than people realize. And, you know, when people think of uh, white-collar crime, they think generally of the Wolf of Wall Street and people like that. They don't think necessarily of medical fraud. But, you know, there's just so much of it. I mean, and we've covered a lot of it on this podcast already. And tonight, or today, depending on when you hear us, the top, one of the top all-time white-collar crime medical cases is that of Dr. Fareed Fatah. And they it often been referred to as the Bernie Madoff kind of, of uh, you know, medical crimes. And Fareed was born in Lebanon, and he got his medical degree there in 1992 and then headed to practice medicine here in the United States. He served a residency for a while in New York, And then he branched out on his own in the state of Michigan. And he specialized in treating blood cancer. And he quickly expanded to about seven clinics there in the Detroit, Michigan area. You know, he rose to the top pretty quickly, which oftentimes we see in white-collar crime. These criminals are very skilled. They're very charismatic. And they are able to move up the ranks a lot of times within an organization or within a practice. And, uh... With Dr. Fatah, it was uh, no different. And uh, he was known, though, for his very aggressive treatments of giving more chemo drugs and treatments than was standard, you know. And chemo can take out a lot of on anybody. I'm sure most of you listening have either family or friends that have gone through it, um, you know. And it's very, very trying, very taxing on the person that goes through it. And it's certainly not uh, a pleasure cruise. And having to go through more than is needed or go through it when none is needed at all is really horrendous crime. And that's something that Dr. Fatah did. And in his uh, heyday, his clinics, they say, were treating about 17,000 patients in that area. Quite a bit, you know. And unfortunately, uh, cancer is, you know, running rampant all over the world and you know it's hard for you know medical science to keep up with trying to treat it and he had certainly you know his share of patients and he was doing quite well there like we said you know seven clinics you know 17,000 patients in that area that's a lot and uh he was however began to pop up on the radar of law enforcement and, you know, the overall community in about 2007 when he was sued for malpractice. And he was sued by a lady by the name of Maggie Dorsey, and he had previously diagnosed her in 2004 with cancer, so you're talking about three years earlier. And after about seven months of chemo, she began to have difficulty walking. You know, again, it's a brutal procedure, you know, to go through and you know like I said I've known some uh, more friends than I have family I've had you know family too that uh, have had to go through this but mostly I've known you know a few friends that have had to go through it and 
you know, again, it's a very taxing and difficult procedure to go through. And uh, after seven months of chemo, uh, you know, again, she had difficulty walking. And the problem was, though, she didn't have cancer, come to find out. And they settled out of court about two years later in 2009. But the question is, why was he allowed to continue at this point and continue to practice when he had just diagnosed somebody falsely with cancer? Now, I don't know if at the time he was able to convince people it was just simply a mistake because, you know, doctors do make him. They are human. And just like any professional, sometimes they get things wrong. It happens in every line of work that, that there you know, is out there. The top experts still make mi- mistakes and miscalculations and things of that sort. But, you know, it's kind of a, burns the question there. Why was he allowed to continue to practice? Which, as we'll see, he would continue to victimize more people. And in 2013... He diagnosed a woman by the name of Monica Flagg with cancer. And she, like his other patients and victims, was prescribed a heavy chemo schedule for the, you know, prescribed for the rest of her life. Well, at one point she did break her leg. And when she went in for treatment, at this time Dr. Fatah was on vacation in Lebanon, which is, you know, where he's from originally. And the attending physician was floored really when he observed her readings on so many things to be completely normal. He noted that her numbers were certainly not consistent with what that would be with, you know, a cancer patient. So, you know, this is something, again, he's coming up on the radar, red flag pops up, something to take note of. And this and other activities finally led to a tip-off to the FBI and a nurse had reported that she had discovered in one week 38 of his 40 patients that she observed were prescribed chemo meds they simply did not need or were even qualified to have or be taking. So Dr. Fatah was soon arrested and held on a $170,000 cash bond. Would seem like a lot for most people, but The federal authorities soon discovered he had about $9 million in assets, you know, a lot of money. He's got, you know, seven clinics. They're, you know, packed to the gills, a lot of patients. You know, he's billing a lot of procedures that aren't needed. And, you know, he's getting paid from the insurance companies from these when they pay out for these procedures. So making a whole lot of bucks. So they saw that he had $9 million in assets not yet seized. So then they assessed him to be a higher flight risk that given his wealth and his ties, you know, and family roots and, you know, just overall ties to Lebanon, he certainly was a greater flight risk than your average defendant is. And they take those kind of things into account a lot of times, you know, a person's wealth or, you know, if they're from another country or if they're from a jurisdiction far off from where the alleged crime takes place. You know, that somebody can be considered just like that, what they call a flight risk, somebody that's going to take off and, and not show back up for court. And the federal authorities certainly assessed him to fit into that category. And an investigation also revealed that he had conned about 533 people into getting chemo they did not need. It's a lot of people and a lot of money he made from that, sadly. 
In fact, it resulted in about $34 million in fraudulent claims. You know, a lot of money. You know, some of that I'm sure he used to operate his clinics and keep them going or whatnot, but a good chunk of it, you have to assume, went to his pockets with, you know, $9 million in assets. It's a lot of money. So this led to a 23-count federal indictment of health care fraud, conspiracy, and money laundering. And it was also shown Dr. Fatah had concealed his fraud and some of the practices and things he was doing to immigration officials while applying for U.S. citizenship. So he was looking overall at 175 years in prison and on top of that having his U.S. citizenship revoked. And he also faced the possibility of deportation back to Lebanon would he ever be released from prison. So I guess he assessed all that and figured, you know, with all that time looking at, maybe he better take a plea. You know, it happens all the time in the criminal justice system, not just high-profile white-collar crime cases like this one, but, you know, many times when evidence is really mounted overwhelmingly against a defendant, their attorneys will make a plea bargain and, you know, try to work out the best sentence possible, lowest sentence possible with the, you know, prosecutor and, you know, get them less time. Now, keep in mind, a lot of people don't know this, but even if the prosecutor and defense attorney work out a deal and the defendant accepts that deal and and pleads guilty, the judge is not bound by law to accept that plea. The judge, he or she can still pass down whatever sentence they feel, you know, of course, certainly within the sentencing guidelines, but... They don't necessarily have to take that plea. So it is a gamble anytime a defendant takes a plea bargain. And, you know, a lot of people don't know that, but it is. It's it's something that, you know, it's still no guarantee. And a judge, you know, most of the time will tell them that, you know, if you insist on pleading guilty, understand I don't necessarily have to take this plea. But he realizes that, you know, he's going to do a lot of time anyway. And he's looking at, you know, again, not only a lot of time in prison, but if he gets out, getting deported back to Lebanon. So... With all this time he's looking at, again, on September 20th, 2014, he pleads guilty to 13 counts of health care fraud. One count, one count of conspiracy and two counts of money laundering. And his immigration charges that he had that they were looking to try to revoke his citizenship, that was dropped as part of the plea bargain. And that's common a lot of times, too. You know, it's not just his case, but many times when... A defendant is taking is facing multiple charges and multiple counts like what he is. When they do get a plea bargain, sometimes, you know, some of these charges are dropped in exchange for their guilty plea. And that was the case here because he was, you know, again, looking at immigration crimes as well, you know, which are also on the federal level. But the prosecutor, despite this, though, still pushed for 175 years in prison which is odd for him to take that plea when knowing the prosecutor was still going to ask for the maximum amount of time possible. Uh, The prosecutor called him the largest fraudster in the history of the country, even worse than Bernie Madoff, who just around this time was being found out, you know, also. And again, you know, Bernie Madoff is the, you know, probably the most notorious white-collar criminal in our history as far as, you know, the massive amount of fraud and the damage in dollars that he did to so many people you know he's probably the most high profile white collar criminal and white collar crime case in american history and that's who this prosecutor compared him to even being worse than bernie madoff and i guess in a sense because of so many people whose health he damaged not just the money he ripped them off out of and and 
not just the insurance companies he conned, but this the damage that were done to people. And we'll have a little bit more on that in just a little bit. But, uh, you know, he was compared to something on that level. And as far as healthcare fraud goes, his case is considered to be probably the biggest healthcare fraud white-collar crime case in United States history so far. So, pretty high-profile case. And you can see more on uh, the American Greed Show. They have done an episode on him as well. And there's more you can see on that. But, speaking of the damage done to his victims, several of them testified at his sentencing, which again is is common. You know, they, many defendants will come there and te- testify how that person's crime has harmed them physically, emotionally, medically, you know, and they'll read from sometimes what's called a victim impact statement. You know, they want the judge, they want the the court to know how that person's crimes, you know, have impacted their lives. And at his sentencing, really, there were countless stories from tons of people how their health was destroyed by him. Uh, One reported that she had bladder, bowel, and kidney problems so badly she could no longer even just perform basic tasks. And when it was given his chance to speak, he, uh, Dr. Fatah claimed he was ashamed of his crimes and he admitted that it was a self-destructive quest for wealth and power that had driven this, driven him to this. And you know, so many times that's really what it comes down to. You know, I wish it could be more complex and maybe sometimes it is in these white collar crime cases but the overall majority of them really to be honest with you it's not it's really just a naked driven greed you know lustful greed uh you know drive for greed that drives these people to do these things and that's all that really was the case here there was no reason for him you know to be driven any other way he was already successful you know he was a you know prominent doctor already making good money it was simply a greed and a lust and a drive for more of that that drove him to this and that's you know pretty scary that somebody would abuse that you know doctors take the oath and they take an oath not to do any harm and uh you know he did quite a bit of harm all in the name of the almighty dollar now he would also later claim his innocence oddly after pleading guilty and try to uh withdraw his plea claiming he had poor legal advice and uh thankfully that this did not work um but, you know, that does happen sometimes, too. Some of them, after they plead guilty and they realize they're going to do a bunch of time, they, you know, reverse course and try to claim their innocence. But, you know, thankfully, nobody was buying that with him. And uh, he also was facing a mountain of civil suits, which likely some of which could still be going to this day as we speak. And, you know, we've talked about that many times on this show that, sadly, a lot of times that is the only recourse some of these victims of white-collar crimes get is when they're able to sue their assailant, for lack of better words, in civil court. And, you know, it, it ends up harming us all because, you know, because of these malpractice suits, and certainly in cases like this, it is definitely justified. But whether it's a justified case like this or you're you know, typical ambulance chasing attorney, as I said, you know, filing a case for somebody that spilled hot coffee on themselves at McDonald's, like we've seen, regardless of whatever the case. In the end, it all drives up insurance and medical costs. So we all suffer from the greed uh, from cases like this, you know, the greed from somebody like Dr. Fatah. In the end, you know, everybody gets victimized in a sense. And, you know, in the injustice, most of the time is not done. But in this case, we will see 
that it was done, and he was sentenced to 45 years in prison on July 10th of 2015, which again is good because so many times we have cases where, you know, they get very light sentences or almost none at all, and sometimes they don't get any at all, and the only, you know, thing that ever, any justice that ever gets done is in civil court, but thankfully that did not happen in this case, and the judge was you know, not moved by any of his BS and, and whatnot, which again, he later recanted and tried to claim his innocence anyway, but the judge didn't buy it. And, you know, he was sentenced to 45 years in prison. He was last reported to be serving his time in a federal prison in South Carolina. Now at his age, uh, hopefully he'll be spending, you know, that 45 year sentence is going to be for the rest of his life. He was born in 1965. So, you know, he's getting near near 60 now with another, you know, 30, roughly 38 years to go or so. So he will, uh, you know, be well into his 90s when he gets out. So, you know, if he does get out and he's still alive, he's going to be too old to practice, hopefully, and do any more harm because that's something we talk about a lot here on this show is, is when they get out of prison, unfortunately, some of them are still free to go out and strike again. You know, it's happened. Uh, Kevin Trudeau is one we talked about. You know, he's been out of jail and prison a time or two and continues to use his scheming fraudster kind of ways to make money and it's not stopped him and I think if I remember right he's due to get out here pretty soon on you know a case that he's he's had and recently done time on so who knows if he'll you know most likely he I wouldn't doubt if he won't try to launch some type of scam and victimize some more people it happens far too many times but thankfully in this case I think we can say that he will spend most likely the rest of his life in prison and be unable to victimize anymore. But the trauma people went through having to take, you know, these chemo drugs and go through actual chemotherapy and the toll that that takes on one's body. And then in the end is to find out that you didn't even have cancer. And it was done just simply to put you through all this and to bill your insurance and, and line his pockets. That is Pretty sick and depraved, I think, and I'm thankful that he will never be able to practice medicine again or harm anybody again, but that's a sad fact and reality, and that's the scary part about it. Now, I will say I think the overwhelming majority of doctors out there are good and honest, and they you know, uphold their oaths, and they try to do good by their patients and treat them and, and not you know, try to make any unnecessary money off of them, but this is one that unfortunately did not do that and went down the wrong pay, path and not only destroyed his own life, but again, destroyed countless victims along the way, which happens way too many times in white collar crime. So we thank you for joining us and we will have some other episodes coming up, probably some more on some medical fraud coming up and some more um, sports fraud coming up as well. Uh, we had an episode last week on, you know, Rick Elvis Parker, the you know, small-time Don King wannabe, and we'll have some other white-collar crime cases like that coming up. And if you have an idea for a show, feel free to message me. Uh, you can send me an email at, at ryanvt at gmail.com. Um, you can contact me on our Anchor FM page, where the hosting site for us. And as I said, always, there's a, you know, tab on there where you can donate to us if you like. We appreciate that. It helps us keep operating. But, you know, most importantly, we appreciate you tuning in and listening to us and you always say like our facebook page and follow that for any updates and you know upcoming shows episode uh, information on current episodes and uh, if there are weeks where we will not be doing a podcast like we had a couple weeks ago when i was off doing some training you know we'll have you know situations like that and just kind of keep you up to date 
And uh, as always, we you know thank you for tuning in. We ask you to keep an eye out for your friends and family for these fraudsters that are out there to try to victimize us all. We asked uh, you know, also you check out your local pet shelter to adopt your next best friend. They're out there. And uh, again, I would always say if you need any voiceover services, I do provide that professional voiceover services. You can check out my website at ryan-horn.com. But again, thank you for tuning in. God bless you, friends, and we will see you next week.